And welcome back, footy fans, to another episode of Donnie's Disposals. I am your host, Coach Donnie Hess, here back with the last waffle wrap-up of the season. As bittersweet as this is, I cannot wait to have a chat because not only am I joined by my fantastic normal co-host, Mr. Rick Gauchi, coming to us from WA. Rick, great to see you, sir. Hey, Donnie, good to see you again, mate, and looking forward to wrapping up what is a great season of WIFL and WIFLW footy. Definitely for sure. But joining us, special guest host, hopping on the voice of the Around the Waffle podcast and a fantastic caller, one of my favorite guys to listen to when it comes to the waffle. That is Mr. Paul Persick. Paul, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Donnie. Yeah, great to uh, to be on the show. Uh, good to see you, Donnie, and good to see you, Rick, as well. Uh, it's been a terrific season of Waffle Footy, culminating in a great day this past Sunday uh, at Optus Stadium, and uh, look forward to reviewing Waffle and Waffle W action here today. Fantastic, fantastic. But uh, this has just been absolutely amazing. It's been a great season of Waffle Footy. I've truly, truly appreciated it. I may not have given it as much attention as I have for some, but I have thoroughly enjoyed these finals. So I think, sir... <laughs> Let's right, jump right into it. We go back a couple of weeks to the start of the finals, and we'll take off with the qualifying with the with the qualifying final to see who will play East. Now I'm totally brain farting as I'm doing this. East Fremantle in the finals as Peel Thunder knocks off Subiaco 84-74, a cracking game of footy. And in the elimination final, Claremont's experience just a little too much as a 12-point win over the East Perth Royals. Really quickly, Paul, a fantastic game by Peel Thunder showing how good they are. And when you have the AFL talent, sometimes it's a little bit easier to win a really good game of footy. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But so what I've really been impressed with for Peel, not just in that final, but also across the season, is that they got the balance between the free listed players and the local players absolutely spot on. Dare I say it, in my opinion, much better compared to their back-to-back premierships in 2016-17 when the majority of that Peel list was Frio players. And ironically, it was some of the local players that really stood up, especially Jack Sears, who tore the game up with four goals in what was very slippery and difficult conditions at the start of the game. And when Peel were almost virtually down and out at halftime and uh, early on in the third quarter, they were about four or five goals down. They really needed someone to spark that side. And Jack Sears, he did the job four goals. And Will Brody, he was just sensational, uh, as he has been uh, all throughout the season with another 28 disposal game. Subiaco, they just could not maintain that momentum in the second half. They let the game go. They couldn't adapt to the conditions as consistently as we thought they would. And uh, Peel Thunder deservedly, but they got it done when it mattered. Big second half from them making the difference. Fantastic. And and then I, I know this isn't easy for a Swans man, Rick, but your thoughts on this Claremont <laughs> East Perth, because East Perth, I think earlier in the season, we thought this, this could be a team that could do a lot of damage. Unfortunately, out right off the top of the bat to a Claremont team that I think probably wish they wouldn't have been in the situation that they were. Yeah, it was a... Uh... It was a very good game, this one as well. And it's a bit of a surprise that Claremont and East Perth did finish fourth and fifth. I thought they were two of the stronger sides during the year and they both sort of faded at the end of the year, particularly East Perth. Uh, Claremont had a good couple of wins to round up the home and away season. And and were probably just a bit too too experienced, I guess, in finals. So East Perth didn't have many players with finals experience. I think I popped out a stat just before that. That only had one player that had won a finals match and it wasn't even for East Perth. That was Mitch Crowded when he was playing for Peel in those 2016-17 seasons. So I think it may have been down to that experience. Scores level at half-time, 5-3 um, each. Uh, the second half, Claremont kicking six goals to four. 
just had a bit too much strength for East Perth. Um, the Royals did come a little bit hard in that last quarter, but um, Claremont held them off and got got the win to progress them through the first semi-final. I think East Perth would be pretty disappointed how their season ended. Um, you know, the start of the season was pretty strong. Um, they were in the you know, top three most of the season. Um, yeah, and I think their fans would be disappointed, but I think encouraged for the future. They've got a good... Um, strong midfield. We'll probably talk about that when we get to the Sandover medal a little bit later on, but their midfield was probably their strength. Um, goal kicking was probably the area that let them down. Um, they did have Tom Graham back in the first semi final. He kicked four goals. Um, so if they can keep him um, and build his strength for next season, I think the Royals will be back hard and a, a strong contender for 2024. Yeah, definitely for sure. So let's let's jump over to it, it, it to the semifinals, which I always love that the second semifinal is the one that's played first, which I always found fascinating when it comes to it. <laughs> and that's these East Fremantle Sharks edge out peel 60-55 to cement their place into a grand final, but a cracking game of footy. Absolutely fantastic here. Rick, I, I gotta say this: the Sharks continue to show how why they were the minor premiers to start the season. Yep, yep. Very strong performance for them for the first, um, you know, three, four, probably three and a half, well, not three and a half, probably two and a half quarters. Um, I did catch this game and I was really hoping that they'd hang on. Peel were coming so strong in the last quarter. They had the breeze behind them and they were really peppering peppering the goals, um, kicked three goals, five in the last quarter to one goal one. So Peel could have snatched the game. Um, they missed, I think from memory, and Paul could probably confirm this with me, I think it's three or four pretty easy shots on goal in the in the last quarter, um, which, you know, that would obviously be ruining, uh, which sent them straight to the grand final, which might have given them a bit uh, bit more of a rest. Um, I think they're a little bit tired come to grand final day. So Eastry Mantle, definitely um, the stronger side for most of that game. Um, and then hanging on in that last quarter. Their, their main players, Murdoch, Turner, Baskerville, Erdley, were all pretty strong with possessions. And they would go on to repeat that uh, in the grand final, obviously. And no, then we jump there, Rick. Um, yes. right. Sorry, sorry, Donnie. Yeah, yeah, you were spot on there, um, uh, Rick. And they did, did miss four times. They missed four set shots at goal. And if they'd got one of them, they would have won the game. And you, mm-hmm. you said it, Peel had so many chances to win that game. East Fremantle, their backline simply stopped in, in the final 10 minutes. They uh, simply stalled like a, an old rusty car down on uh, the Mitchell Freeway. But uh, they did so well, East Fremantle, to start it off. And, uh, you know, Hugh Dixon up forward, he was crucial. And uh, for those two and a half quarters, Matty Jupp and Cam Moodley really shut down the uh, the Peel forward line. Definitely, for sure. And then we jump to it. Unfortunately, Claremont's season ends, I think, a little prematurely than I had tipped, at least. So, unfortunately, I know I will I will raise my hand on that one. Is Subiaco with a nice little 39-point smashing over the Claremont Tigers, 88-49. And, I mean, just... I think Claremont finally ran out of uh, of special magic tricks of winning close games because Subi just ran over them in this one. <laughs> yeah, they did. And, and looking at the score, it could have been a hell of a lot worse for Claremont. Mm-hmm. 12 goals, 16 to 8 goals of 1. So 28 scoring shots to 9. Um, a 39-point margin probably faded Claremont in the end. Um, Claremont third quarter kicked 5 goals and that was pretty much the only effort really they put in for that game. I think Subi just were dominant. Liam Hickmont and Stefan Giro through the midfield, 36 and 28 disposals. They were dominant. They shut down the key players for Claremont. Um, I think it was Jordan alone that was, um, that a, or Jamin alone, sorry, that shut down Jai Bolton. Bolton only had 13 disposals, which would be one of his career lows. 
even Bailey Rogers with 16. So they shut down their prime movers um, and that's pretty much stopped Claremont in their tracks. Subi was a nice, nice win for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Let's, let's jump to it, to the preliminary final to see who will take on East Fremantle in the grand final and Peel bounce back after the loss to East Fremantle to get a rematch as they knock off the Subiaco Lions 77-53. And Paul, again, Peel showing that they were just that much better than the Lions in this one. Yeah, they absolutely were. And it was set up at the start, you know, five goals to two in the opening quarter. They never looked headed. They had the breeze behind them uh, in that first quarter. And again, it was down to the Local players that really stood up to the play. Again, Will Brody with, with 24 disposals. Carl Warner, again, seeing plenty of the football. Um, there were a couple of suspect uh, times where Peel just uh, looked a little bit, uh, a bit of a handful in front of goal. They did miss a few easy chances to give Subiaco a little bit of leeway. But uh, when you've got Ben Middleton, Jack Sears, Josh Corbett, uh, providing so much spread on the scoreboard, you know you're going to have a, a damaging game. And, and Subiaco... Um, especially when you have Zach Clark, who had 37 hitouts, wasn't as impactful as he had been for most of the season. I mean, many had rated his follow-up work as one of the big keys for Subiaco's success, being in his mid-30s and still playing the best football of his career. Peel did a great shutdown job on him, trying to contain his impact around the ball, especially at ground level, where Zach Clark has been so good in, in his follow-up. Uh, and uh, Ryan Borchette, two goals. He was their only effective forward. And Peel's backline, led by the likes of Jacob Blight and Carl Warner, who had 10 marks, by the way, to go with his 21 disposals, uh, really taking the Lions forwards out of the game. So it was a great win for Peel Thunder. Great turnout as well in uh, in Mandra at uh, Lane Group Stadium. I think it was one of the best turnouts I've seen at that ground for, for a few years now. The atmosphere there was just terrific. Peel supporters, uh, even Frio supporters, obviously, with the alignment, turning out to see uh, some of the Frio players. It was, uh, it was a great job uh, by Peel Thunder, and they deserved to be in the grand final after that win. Yeah, definitely for sure. And we'll, we'll, we'll fast forward to it. the grand final that, as Paul said, just happened this weekend, an absolute classic. One of those, unfortunately, maybe not as close as I think some people would have expected. Unfortunately, as East Fremantle, really, they started off the game hot and Peel just never could ever catch up as a 39 point win by the Sharks, 85, 46. And as I heard on the, on the, um, uh, around the waffle, Fins up for sure on this one as the Sharks get a get a premiership and end their drought. So my hat tip to the Sharks on this one, Rick. Again, just too good a first quarter and Peel never really could ever recover. Yep, pretty much spot on there, Donnie. Yeah, that first quarter, East Fremantle get the first two or three goals in the first few minutes of the game, and you could sort of see there it was they were switched on. Peel probably not so much. Um, and one of the things that I find with the the alignment, particularly with the Peel side, is not to be too disparative towards them, but they are a bit of a front-running side. If they start to get behind, I'm not sure if the AFL players really buy in totally to say that they, you know, they're really in it out with their heart on their sleeve. And I think if you have a look at a team like Eastern Mantle, 25 years in the doldrums, haven't won a flag for, for the quarter of a century, longest drought ever. They had 22 players that really bled blue and white on that day. Um, I think that versus the you know half and half AFL waffle side for Peel. The Peel players, yes, by all means, they put in. They had some really good contributors. Again, Jacob Blight, Benel, Bell, Gray, Sears. They all tried really hard, but I just think Eastry Mantle just had that want more. And in the grand final, you need to want that game more than the other team. Um, that start was brilliant. Sort of reminded me, going back... Um, 
Paul, you probably before you were born, but the 1984 grand finals when Swans played East Romano wow. and kicked 10, 10 goals in the first quarter. I thought East Romano were going to repeat that. They were just so dominant early. Um, Peel, to their credit, got a couple of goals back in that first quarter, but um, East Romano had all the answers. Peel kept coming. East Romano just kept pushing them aside. And, um, you know, it was a great win for them. I was in a commentary box with um, with one of the radio stations here, Sport FM, and, and the, the main caller there is a very proud Eastern Mantle supporter. So I was very happy for him and, and a number of Eastern Mantle supporters um, for them to, to win. Um, probably 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been happy for Eastern Mantle to win a flag because I win them like Christmas every every year. Um, but yeah, well done, Eastern Mantle. I think Peel tried hard, but they just didn't have it in them. Um, and Eastern Mantle just too strong through the midfield. Fraser Turner hit 37 disposals. Joyce, 30. Murdoch, 27. And the Simpson medal early. All of their key players in the midfield were, were strong, and that was the difference. Peel's midfield really had Wagner and Brody. They were the only ones that I think showed up for the four quarters. Um, and Eastern Mantle, yep, they um, fins up, as they say, down at Shark Park. And uh, congratulations <laughs> to them and commiserations to Peel. Anything else you have, Dad, Paul? Well, Eastern Mantle, they, like, like Rick said, they were switched on. They had that desire to, to want that premiership up after 25 years and uh, they they were simply incredible what well, one one special shout out must go to fraser turner i mean he's had a sensational season coming from south adelaide in the sample he's really adopted to the wafl style so quickly uh, he's he really brought into bill monaghan's game plan so well and he's played some sensational football uh, coming over from south adelaide a club in the sample where they haven't had a lot of success likewise for east Fremantle, and he was brought into that shark vision for 2023 and my golly he looked up to it 37 touches and he's been averaging just below 30 this season, which is still a sensational effort for a first-year Waffle player coming over from another state league. And then to take seven marks to go on with, he was simply sensational. Billy Monaghan, the coach, I mean, he's been yearning for that premiership with the Sharks since taking over in 2018. He's got premiership experience before, having won it with West Perth a decade ago. But, uh, you know, to see him there winning the premiership with the, with the Sharks side, that hasn't been successful for quite a long time. Uh, simply sensational. And the captain, Matty Jupp, he's really been there through thick and thin, through the tough times, uh, even at the lowest ebb some five years ago when Billy Monaghan took over, to see him there on the ground with the greatest show of relief a player could ever have, a captain could ever have as well, was uh, was simply remarkable. It just tugged at the heartstrings, you know, when you see a side that has bereft of success for such a long time finally get it done in uh, what was a real clinical display by the Sharks. And, uh, you know, I'll do the hand signal for one day. Fins up. Uh, they certainly deserve <laughs> that one. It was uh, it was a great day for them. Yeah. And uh, the celebrations, I won't be surprised if they go on for a few extra weeks because uh, 25 years is a very long wait. Fantastic. And, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> well I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do this. I'm gonna, Normally I don't do this, but I, got, I have to. Paul, I listened to the episode this afternoon, the, the Around the Waffle episode. You have to tell us. You did three interviews today, and each one had the same answer for who was who was getting the votes off the ground. You have to tell Rick this. This was hilarious. The the, the comedy gold that came from this episode that each of these the coach, the captain, and the and the best on ground all said the same gentleman was best on off ground. You have to tell this. This is hilarious. Oh, Rick, I reckon you're going to be in stitches with this one because uh, in, in the grand final edition of Around the Waffle, we had um, Matty Jupp first, then Milan Murdoch and Billy Monaghan. And we were talking about, you know, the celebrations that have been going on after Sunday evening when they won the match. And we had the question, like, who was best off the ground? Who's been the best in the celebrations? 
And every single one of them answered Ben Maguire, who ironically was also be- one of the best on the ground. Uh, he kicked a couple of goals in that grand final on Sunday. They all said that Ben Maguire has been on the world's longest TED Talk. He's been speaking nonstop. <laughs> he has not shut his gob for the four days from Sunday evening to the time we recorded the episode. He has been going absolutely ballistic and we absolutely love it. I mean, Ben Maguire, he could save his own TED Talk in 2024 and it would go about four days. Put him on stage in front of 10,000 people and every one <laughs> of the 10,000 would be laughing and smiling. I mean, it, it was absolute gold. One of the funniest uh, bits of co- bits of podcast gold that uh, that we've put together on Around the Waffle this season. It was hysterical. Yeah, the the, rea- the reaction, <laughs> when the, the reaction when the third when, when the third. I can't remember who it was. It was third. The reaction of both you I'll and your co-host when he was like Maguire. You were all like, <laughs> you just oh, just were in stitches right then in there. It was hilarious. I was I was sitting there. I had to hold my mouth. I was at work as I was listening to the podcast. I'm like. This is just too good. This is too gold. So I knew I had I knew I had to bring it up on the podcast because that that was too good a segment not to talk about. So again, a, a fantastic season of, of waffle footy. It's been great to be able to see such a great competition and and for that drought to end is is fantastic. But I want to go in the time machine a little bit and let's talk and let's review a little bit because again, this is my first year going over the waffle and waffle W. So I kind of want to enjoy a little bit, but before we jump into the time machine, I we got to talk about it. The Sandover Medal. I wanted to be sure to give it its due. Sandover Medal winner was I remember one of the Brayshaws, correct? Hamish. Hamish Brayshaw. Yep. yep. So and and I, I got to ask you too, a well deserved win for the for for Hamish in this in this case. Yeah, for me, I, I thought he was a favorite going into the counts. Um, I saw him play a couple of games. During the season, um, was he against Swans and he was very strong. The goal-kicking midfielder, um, kicked 20-odd goals for the season. Um, you know, he, he was by far the best player, I thought, in the league over the season, a deserved winner. And he won it by seven votes, which is a pretty big margin in a 3-2-1 count. So, for mine, yep, very deserved winner, um, Hamish Brayshaw. Um, I'm not sure how he didn't play more AFL games, but, um, you know, you can never tell who they, these, these AFL teams pick for for players and, and leave others behind. But um, yeah, he did well. And I think he's a deserved winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. He was a very worthy winner, Hamish Brayshaw. And the form he had late in the season as well to get those bests on the grounds and bolt to the lead and then to follow it up and get that seven vote win uh, over the likes of Luke Meadows and Zach Clark. That shows how strong he was at the later part of the season when his team needed him the most to charge to the final five. Very good midfielder, goal-kicking midfielders, which, you know, you see a lot of these days in the, in modern football, but he's got that ability to really turn a game around. I think his best game was actually the last round, round 20 in a 15-point loss. He steered East Perth back into the game against West Perth in Joondalup where it was like they were gone. They were gone, dead and buried, gone for all money. 37 touches, 12 marks, outstanding. And here's a little history for you, and I know you'll love this, Rick. First Royal to win it since Ryan Turnbull back in 2001. 22-year yep. hoodoo of Sandovers for uh, for the Royals, but uh, it was worth the wait. Uh, well-deserved winner, Hamish Brayshaw. Very popular one as well uh, here in WA. He's a real <clears throat> cult figure in, uh, in WA footy. Uh, he's a sensational player, great bloke as well, and uh, very happy that he got the medal. 
Yeah, definitely for sure. So let's jump into it. Let's have a little bit of fun. I'm very interested to see how this goes. I sent you guys the script. I wanted to know your game of the year for men's, your game of the year for women's, and then we'll talk a little bit later on your stories of the year. So we'll start off since Paul, you're joining us as a special guest. What was your game of the year in the men's competition this season? Well, it's hard to split two, actually. It's hard to split two because uh, they were both very close. They were both, uh, they had tension all around and these were both the games I did call. Uh, So I'm being a little biased in that front, so to speak. So (laughs) the first one was back in round six uh, between Swan Districts and uh, Claremont. The Swans, they were switched on all up until the last quarter. They played some great football. Tommy Edwards was going along quite nicely. So too was Mitch Bain and uh, Jarvis Pino, who had a breakout season for Swan Districts. They led by some six goals heading into the last quarter. And then all of a sudden, like they have done numerous times throughout the season, Claremont just kept peppering goals, cutting that margin down. And I think there was a piece of play, stoppage, Claremont were able to get the tap out, kick through the corridor, main wearing mark, handball over the top to England, 35 metres out. Claremont hit the front. They snatched the game by two points. And I think I almost lost my voice that day. It was uh, simply a sensational comeback by Claremont. And then the second one was the second semi-final between uh, the Sharks and Peel Thunder. Uh, you know, East Fremantle finally getting to the big dance, having to hold off a value Peel Thunder. That was an amazing game. And the, the atmosphere over at Fremantle Oval, considering it was a Sharks home game at Frio Oval, something that hasn't happened since like 1951 or 52 or something. Uh, and to, you know, have, have that terrific atmosphere over at the port, was simply sensational and Peel almost got it done. I still think Peel should have won that game in hindsight, but uh, East Fremantle, they just had enough leeway and a little bit of luck as well to uh, to get to the grand final through uh, that five-point win. So those games for the men's were, were some of my favourites. And for the women's, I'm actually going to go not to the league. It's the Rogers Cup grand final. So the Rogers Cup grand final, for those that aren't familiar with it, is sort of like Colts. It's the women's equivalent to the WAFL Colts competition. And it was between West Perth and, and South Fremantle at Lath Lane, the home of the Demons. And yes, there's a bit of bias in that because I'm a West Perth fan. But uh, <laughs> again, it was uh, another come from behind victory. Um, South Fremantle, they were on. They, they had some sensational stars that, uh, that really turned it on for the Bulldogs on that day. West Perth had Mia Russo, who won the best on ground medal for the Falcons. She steered the Falcons' comeback in that last quarter, and uh, they, were, they uh, got the goal to put them in front with three minutes to go. And the media facilities at Lathlane, you're in an open box, and having called that game, and when the goal was kicked to put West Perth in front, I couldn't even hear myself think. The crowd was just absolutely wild. I think it's like Bar Optus Stadium, the loudest crowd you could ever hear at a WAFL match. And then West Perth got it done out of the blue. Simply remarkable. So those are my favorite games. Two of the men's and, of course, and the women's for, for 2023. Fantastic. Rick, what, what do you got for you? Thanks for reminding me of that uh, Claremont Swans game, Paul. Um, <laughs> I, I was wondering if he was going to say something. <laughs> yeah, my least favorite game for the season. Um, no, I think that, that yeah, that, Taking my unbiased hat off, I think that was probably one of the the, the best games I've seen. Um, obviously, the result um, not didn't please me too much. Uh, that last quarter, Claremont were just brilliant. Um, Twenty nine points down at the start of the last quarter, kicked the first goal. I said to my dad, "We're gone." You could just tell the game was all over, and they were still four and a half goals behind. So for them to get over the top of us in that game was pretty good. Um, Myself, mainly seeing Swans games. I don't watch a lot of neutral games throughout the season, except for the finals. But 
I think the Swans, uh, Swans and Subi game um, in round 14 when Swans got over the line by a couple of points. For me, that was probably my um, my favourite game of the season, whether it was the best game or not. Uh, you know, the jury's out on that. But um, Swans had way too many close games this year, managed to get over the line in a few of them um, after losing the first five by under 10 points. Um, that did manage to turn that around with a couple of close wins. Um but the Subiaco game, it was pretty much goal for goal most of the way. Swans did pull away um, about the 20-minute mark. We got to a couple of goal leads. Subi snatched it and we went, oh, here we go again. Um, but we've managed to get the last goal of the game, hang in there and and, um, and hold off uh, Subiaco in that game. Uh, Tom Edwards kicking four goals. Chris Jones, three up front. But young Taj, Taj Schofield, he almost won that game for Subi on his own foot, uh, off his own foot with 23 disposals, a couple of goals in that last quarter. Um, had the pleasure of sitting pretty much next to his mother for the whole game, and she was screaming her lungs out and piercing my ears whenever Taj did something good. But <laughs> um, he, he, had, he had a really good game, and um, you know, I think that was a pretty exciting finish. Anytime it's a close game, it's always exciting, and the crowd, you know, we don't get lots of people in the waffle anymore. And I wish we got bigger crowds. You know, I still remember the early 80s when 20,000, 15 to 20,000 was the regular crowds um you know paul mentioning the the crowd at, at lath lane in that final you know just the the atmosphere in a, in a waffle game is very different to an afl game afl crowds are one-sided you go an eagles or a dockers game in perth and 90 percent of the team uh, the crowd goes for the home team mm-hmm. in a waffle game it's usually 50 50 yes some supporters some clubs have more supporters than the others but just to have that atmosphere you can sit next to someone from the opposition and have a little bit of a job during the day. But at the end of the day, you're all happy. You're supporting the waffle. You're supporting grassroots football. And that's what I love. Um, so those types of games are great. Um, the second semi-final, yeah, that was a good game with, with Peel really coming hard at the end. I really enjoyed the grand final. I thought that was a, a quality game and um, it was played well. Optus Oval is a fast ground, big, big open spaces. I think from a quality perspective, I think the waffle grand final was a, was a class game as well. Um, from the women's side, um, again, you can have a look at the grand final there as, a, as another boil over Eastern Mantle. Women, obviously, they've done the, the, the Quinella this season with the men and women taking off the, the Waffle Premierships. But for Eastern Mantle to get up and defeat Claremont, who hadn't lost a game all season, obviously, the teams had a draw um, back earlier in the season. Um, but the grand final, for Eastern Mantle to, to win that, um, pretty much revenging the previous year when Claremont did basically the, the opposite to them, um, winning by a couple of goals in the grand final. I think that would rate as probably the, the best game for the Waffle women for the season. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably my highlights. Um, pretty good year overall. I was 30, I looked at a stat earlier, I was 35, I think, games in the Waffle men's decided by up to um, 10, uh, 20 points. So, you know, it's pretty even. And the last three years, it's been around about 35, 36 margins in that 20-point range for the season. So that's pretty pretty close. Um, there was a few, obviously, blowouts with the Eagles. But take the Eagles side out of it. You know, the season was probably one of the most even um, that I can recall. Um, so Paul's mob, obviously, was pretty close to, to stealing a spot in the finals at the end and my team not too far behind. Um, so it was a good year all around <laughs> and I really enjoyed a lot of close games. Uh, there's there's oh, the, the veiled to, shot right back. Uh, I, I just had to fold my <laughs> arms there when you mentioned West Perth. 
But not only uh, was it grand final loss, but what's that old saying? All dressed up with nowhere to go because we didn't make the 5-8. I'll agree with the Waffle W grand final. That was one that I should have added in because that that was a real upset against the Apple card, mm. the form book, when Claremont mm-hmm. went into that game having not lost a, a game beforehand. And th- they had close games in both their meetings, a draw mm-hmm. in round nine at the Wacker. And then they had a, Claremont had a six-point win over the Sharks in Joondalup in the grand final rematch. And I, t- I told Donny this story in one of the previous episodes I was on, and I reckon you'll love this as well. Um, the week of the grand final, I had Mark Reddings, the most electrifying man in the WAFL on Around the Waffle. And we made our tips. I tipped Claremont. You know, you, you just couldn't go past them at the time. I mean, look mm-hmm. at the side they had. I mean, it was a strong lineup. He went with East Fremantle, and I made the big mistake, the cardinal sin, in scoffing at his tip. <laughs> I, laugh, I, laugh too. I laughed too. I laughed too. I learned a valuable lesson. Never, ever scoff oh. Skeet's tip. I learned that the hard way, and I'm still not hearing the end of it. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. But let, let me let me hop in, gentlemen, because I I I may be the host of the show, but I I've been like I said, been keeping track of it. So I I will kind of I will kind of make um Rick grin a little bit because my game my game of the year was one that he I, I specifically reached out to him after I saw the final score because again this is another close <laughs> game. Again, it was it was Swan's mo this year was playing in close games, and that was their round sixteen matchup with the West Coast Eagles where. I, I reached out to him like, hey, another close win. And he goes, yeah. He goes, we had to kick it after the siren. And I go, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, we, after the siren. So I went back and I watched the game and I was like, OMG, what an ending to the game because it was so back. It was it was so back and forth in that fourth quarter. It was absolute crack. Again, it was like Swans were just possessed with close games this year. So for me, a, a kick after the siren is hard, is hard to go away from. Was it the greatest game of footy? Absolutely not. In fact, I, I joked with a couple people that I think the West Coast Eagles, Perth Demons 98-98 draw that they had, I think was scintillating because both those teams absolutely played their guts out trying to get a win in a season that they didn't get a lot of wins. So for me, that was a, that was a fantastic. And going to the women's, it was definitely the women's grand final. I am 100% with you guys there. I have never seen a team tackle and tackle and tackle and tackle the way East Fremantle tackled the absolute living daylights out of that Tigers team. And you can tell it started to get to them and zippy fish, you little ripper, you little ripper absolutely loved watching her play. She is definitely going to be quite the addition to an AFLW roster very, very soon. She gives me Mon Conti like feels, which is nothing but a good thing when it comes to it because Mon Conti absolute superstar zippy fish. You can tell she is influenced by Mon Conti. Absolutely loved watching her. I thought it was a fantastic game. And seeing an underdog who I think nobody, as as we heard in the story there with the scoff, nobody kind of gave East Frio a chance in that grand final because Claremont had been so dominant. But it was kind of that odd thing in the back of my mind going, they did, they did play two close games during the year. So when I watched the grand final, I was sitting here going, I, I think Claremont doesn't know what to do as the later and later the game got, the less they knew what to do because they had not really been in that situation all of that, that entire season. So just an absolutely scintillating end to the year. And again, East Fremantle does the double, both the men's and the women's. I, it'd be interesting. Has that ever happened before, Rick? Do you know? 
Um, well, it's off the top of my head, I don't think so. Um, the, the Waffle Women's itself in the current format has only been around probably about, oh, about eight or nine seasons, I think, now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's potentially Subi may have done it, um, but I yeah, might have to get back to you on that one, Donnie. I'm not sure if you know off the top of your head. Sorry, ball. question out of the notice. <laughs> yes. No, I don't, I don't, don't I do don't that to me. From my memory, I don't think it's been done so if if we do get it verified and you know it's the case it's the first time it's happened couldn't have gone to a more deserving club mm-hmm. definitely for sure absolutely so and then and then we'll go to it because i always love a good i always love a good story the story of the year in both the men and the women's we'll start with rick rick what is your story of the year in the men's and then in the women's i think the story is is the premiership team makes your mantle you know to to go through 25 years as I mentioned earlier, very successful club, won more flags than any clubs in, in, in Waffle football. Granted, most of them were before World War World War II when there was not as many teams in the competition, but um, you know, still to win 30 flags, not having won one for 25 years. Bill Monaghan, as Paul mentioned, a previous winner at uh, West Perth in 2013. I think that's right, Paul. Um, they, you know, um, it's been a long time for him. He came over. They didn't win many games in his first couple of seasons. His, his position was sort of hanging in a tight, you know, tight rope there for a little while. Um, but to turn the club around in the last couple of years, um, players like Matthew Jupp, who's played 182 um, league games, you know, players like that have been around for a long time, have had to go through the adversity of, of some lots of defeats, big margins, not many wins in a season. So, for someone like him, who's been around for a long time, as captain of the club now for a few years, um, just to see, you know, these long-suffering fans. You know, being a Swan District supporter, I know we we don't win very often, and I recall back in 2010, the first premiership we had as, or I have experienced as an adult, was 20 years since we had the previous one. Um, for each amount to win after 25 years, um, you know, I think that's definitely the story for me. Um, I can't can't go past that. Um, other stories, again, all the close games, lots of close games. Um, you mentioned the Swans game after the siren against West Coast. I've witnessed Swans play three games this year where the result was determined after the final siren. And in my entire 43 years of watching Waffle football, I can't remember any more than probably two times that ever happening in that period of time. And I've probably seen seven, 800 games of Swans um, in 40-odd years. So to see three games after the siren decided where we won one, and or we won two, sorry, and, and lost one. Um, you know, I think close games mean obviously a good competition. So I think that all goes well again for the future of the waffle. But main story of the issue man winners after 25 years. Mm-hmm. Paul? Yeah, I'm going to say the same as well. Um, both both the men's and the women's uh, have been East Fremantle. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to do the double is uh, is very, very rare, you know, amongst, uh, amongst any level of football, whether it be here in WA, South Australia, or, or Victoria or any other state or territory to do the double as well. But I'm, I'm going to go off the um, the norm, say, as well. And as far as news is concerned uh, in the WAFL, it was the story when, when South Freo um, were, uh, in, were in the salary cap uh, you know saga as well. That mm. we did not see coming. We did mm-hmm. not see coming at that at all. All Waffle fans of all clubs. And as a result, obviously, the Bulldogs had their back against the wall. So, you know, as far as, like, news is concerned, South Fremantle and the salary cap saga for... Basically, no one saw that coming at the start of the season. Um, but South Fremantle was still able to remain competitive in games. So, uh, and you know they matured some good players. 
But uh, really, both men's and women's were, you know, on the other side of town, south from Ant uh, east from Antle, rather, you know, to win those premierships, as you said, Rick, first in 25 years for the men's and, you know, for the Sharks to do the, the double with, uh, with the women's in, in the grand final in July over at uh, Lathlane in front of a very noisy, very rowdy crowd over there at Lathlane was uh, simply sensational. And, you know, the story really as well, the coach, the captain, uh, the, the Simpson medalist, the long-suffering Sharks fans, in fact, Leaving off the stadium after the grand final, seeing a, a few mates and colleagues that are East Fremantle fans, you couldn't help but shake their hand or, or give them a hug. You know, it, it just felt so good for them to, you know, finally see a, a Sharks premiership. So not only those players, coaches, but the stories, the long-suffering Sharks fans, you know, I had a, I had a big smile for them on that day and, and no wonder. Yeah, I am, and, and I will chalk it up all three. The the story of the year is the same thing as East Fremantle. Like I said, <laughs> seeing seeing a drought end is always fantastic. I, I I still talk with a few fans sometimes online when it comes to it with being a Swan supporter, the seventy two year drought, and hearing grandmothers getting tattoos and things like that. So it's to see a twenty five year drought, not as nearly as much, but it, it's still it's a long time for a quarter century. I mean, there there are kids that never saw an East Fremantle grand final grand final win so it's great to see that and then i'm 100 with you the spoiler of the year because i think everybody had chalked up claremont to win the women win the women's because of their dominance and for east Fremantle, like i said for me to tackle their way to a premiership was absolutely sensational i'm loving seeing the progression of women's footy in all of the state leagues i i think the the waffle has really progressed they added east perth this year which i think it was difficult to watch their games at times but the progression got better as the season goes on i think it's one of those like all the competitions the first year is going to be rough you absolutely know that but the fact that i if i heard correctly i think perth was competing in the rogers cup this year for the women correct so yep. it's so potentially we could see all of the nine unattached teams get a team get a team into the Waffle W very very soon. So it's nothing but positivity. So I'd almost want to go as the the progression of women's footy in the Waffle and and as you said in the grand final, so many fans out to watch women's footy is fantastic. I absolutely love it. So so many great stories. So we go from this year. I, I kind of want to have some fun a little bit because we're at the end of the year. We're going to take a little bit of a hiatus. I want some, I want to have some fun. I want a bold prediction. I want something for next season that you could potentially see happening that nobody may see. So Paul, we'll start with you. A bold prediction for next year in the Waffle or Waffle W. Well, I'll go with the men's Waffle first. I reckon we're going to see a break of the finals monopoly uh, in 2024. You know, you see the likes of, you know, West Perth, Claremont, Subiaco, uh, you know, getting into those uh, final series. Out of those three, I reckon only one of them will make the five next year. And it is not going to be West Perth. It's not going to be West Perth. Yep, call it a big shock, but I don't think it's going to be West Perth this year. That'll make the five. I'll give you the five teams that I reckon will make the five. East Frio, East Perth, Claremont, Subiaco, and Swan Districts. With, with what Swan Districts, I know that'll, that'll please you, Rick, but um, you know Swan <laughs> Districts, with the competitiveness that they have got, and the new coach, Andrew Prune, I mean, he's, he's a solid coach, you know, good experience with all the other levels in, uh, in WAFL football. But um, the fact that they got so close against so many finals teams, including the reigning premiers, West Perth, well, the former premiers now, uh, to get within seven points and then to beat them at home in Joondalup, which was a huge boil over, that they, they show not only with the games against the Falcons, but also the likes of Claremont, the likes of East Perth and East Fremantle at times, that they can get competitive 
against those finals teams. And I reckon we'll see a greater step for Swan Districts uh, this season and get, and, and uh, see them in the five. So I reckon the break of the finals monopoly will uh, will occur next year. Fantastic. Rick, got a, got a bold prediction for next year. Uh, okay, my bold prediction for next year is Swans um, will win the flag and be undefeated um, and win every game by 10 or 15 goals. Um, realistically, um, as much as I'd love for that to happen, I can't see that any chance of that happening. But I think one of the things that I predicted at the beginning of this year was, um, I recall we had a conversation after the pre-season and, and West Coast with three and zip in pre-season. And I said, I think they're going to be the big improvers. Well, how wrong was I um, at that stage? But I, I think they will be much more competitive next year. I'm sure the Eagles AFL side can't have three years where they're struck down with injuries and, and stuff like that. With going to the draft, I think they'll get some good young kids in there to boost their side. So I think, um, you know, looking at the Eagles side, I think they'd win um, probably not enough to make the finals, but I think they will win probably five or six games next year, which would be good for the competition and we'll even it up a little bit more. As far as, um, you know, looking at who's going to win the flag and, and the top five or what might happen next year, I think it will continue to be pretty close. Um, I think West Perth coming home in a wet sail last season sort of reminds me, and I like to talk back in the olden days, but in 1979, Swans finished the season with five wins in a row, won the next 12 in 1980, and then it was basically... Premier's next sort of next three years. I think West Perth with that momentum um, can sort of can get them back into the finals next year. I think it's very hard to tell though at this time of the year with who's going to leave the club, who's retiring, what players are, are moving on. The waffle. There's usually big turnaround um, turnover of players after each season. Um, Paul mentioned Swans, and as much as I'd love to see them improve, we're losing a lot of players that I'm aware of, or um, well, that the rumour mills have started. Some of the players like Fisher. Palmer, Jones, Kemp. So a lot of the Victorian recruits, in state recruits are either going home or, or looking at finishing up. Um, depends on who we get to replace those players. Yes, um, we've got some really good kids and I hope that the kids um, do progress. We won Swans won the Colts flag a couple of years ago, um, have won the reserves flag um, this year. So we've got some, lots of good young kids coming through. And I think West Perth have got some really good, strong kids coming through. <laughs> I think the five won't change too much. Um, I think Subi, yeah, I think they're losing some experienced players as well. They may drop down a bit. Um, and I'm not really giving a direct answer here. That's, <laughs> it's quite a tricky one for me, but I think the five, maybe Subi may drop out and either West Perth or Swans come in and maybe Claremont also may drop down a bit as well. But depending on players like Bolton, whether he hangs around for another year and tries to get that elusive premiership. Um, I think East Fremantle, um you know, Premiers going back-to-back -back is a strong possibility. They haven't done it for a long time. Um, but a key for Eastern Mantle, is there going to be any penalties? And there's, uh, We haven't sort of talked about that today, but the, the salary cap penalties um, that are hanging over their heads, could they start minus eight like South Fremantle did this year? If that's the case, that's going to be a, a long way back for them. So, um, yeah, so that's sort of where I'm thinking for next year. I think it's another... another very tight year with, again, probably six or seven. South Fremantle back in a chance to make finals again. They blooded 17 first-year players this year. That's only going to help them. So I think seven seven or eight teams again, sorry, Perth and, and West Coast, probably not going to make the finals again. But I think it should be nice and tight again in 2024. And I look forward to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to myself. I'm 
unfortunately i'm not going to take a stab at this one because I'd, I'd be really jumping i'd be shooting i'd be shooting in the dark here i'd be shooting very very blind when it comes to it but I, I will definitely look forward to it and we will definitely catch up again but gentlemen this has been a fantastic conversation again i thoroughly enjoyed being able to sit down and talk waffle again rick just a, a huge thank you to you for for hopping on this season and walking me through this as much as possible it, it's been absolutely fantastic and paul again thank you so much for for hopping on for this episode and going back and forth with me a little bit because again i've, I've loved hearing you on the calls of, of several of the games and listening to the podcast has been absolutely fantastic to get a little bit of more information um that i can't always get sometimes because these games are starting at two or three in the morning so it's not always easy for me to catch every single game in its entirety so having that having that ability to listen to your your breakdowns on the the on the one on the podcast has been fantastic so to both of you gentlemen thank you so much for everything that you've done not only for me but for the podcast as well Thanks. yeah my pleasure donnie and yes and, I, and i've said to you plenty of times throughout the season it's been amazing that you know that we're talking here um in perth to a guy over in america and who has interest in state league football um, and women's football to the, the amount of um, knowledge that you have, um, you know, the stuff that you talk about, about the women's game, you know, it <laughs> goes well over my head. Um, you know, for someone who has so much interest that you do over there, um, it's amazing. And, and please keep it up. Good luck to your, your side in your national champs this weekend. And I look forward to um, doing this again with you next year and, um, you know, helping you, get a bit more understanding of the waffle um it's been going since 1885 so um it's a long-standing competition it's the premier state league competition within wa and i think us sound gropers are very parochial about our waffle think it's the best competition outside the afl um and you know we'll hold our hand on our hearts and, and say that and south australians might not agree but um to have the passion that you have um about our national game and at the state level like i said is it is um is amazing and, and i appreciate um what you're doing um with with these podcasts as well so thanks donnie and we'll look forward to next year mm -hmm. i second that it's uh, absolutely fantastic uh, what you're doing donnie you mean you're a proud advocate for state football keeping uh, the spirit of state football alive and the action certainly is living up to it and you know your positivity around women's football is uh, absolutely encouraging not only to the teams uh, here in wa but also the fans that go out there and, uh, and support women's football, uh, especially here in Western Australia. And also to you, Rick, um, you know, the stuff that you've done with um, with Waffle Footy Facts, providing such great information on all the games. And, you know, it, it provides a great help with uh, the games that I call. It helps out with uh, with the preparation as well. So uh, you, you've done a great job as well. Uh, and the, the time that you spend on, on Waffle Footy Facts, uh, putting these facts together, absolutely tireless. And you put in a, a hell of an effort this year. So job well done to both of you, not just uh, not just Donnie, but, uh, but to Rick as well uh, across the season. I truly appreciate Thanks, it. I truly appreciate the kind words, gentlemen. I really, really do. It's 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 a labor of love. It's not always easy, as I was kind of telling you guys before. It's it's a five podcast week for me, so I I'm I'm running on empty a little bit, and still a fun, exciting weekend with grand final and and women's footy still to chat with. In fact, as you're discussing this, I'm trying to keep an eye on our our group for our national championship has just come out, but I, I don't want to put this on the podcast too much because i'm still going back and forth with my guys we we actually i just found out our group here and not an easy group not an easy group but a group i think we, we can we can have some success if we can get started off really really well so ladies and gentlemen that is going to do it for the last waffle wrap up for this year again we will continue to do this and as always 
during the off season, we'll have my supporter series. And I'm going to try this off season to talk with as many of the clubs, a supporter from all the clubs of the waffle besides West coast, because that's part of the AFL. So we'll try to keep it to all of the unattached waffle teams. Hopefully I can get one from each of the waffle teams. So if you know any fans that are interested in telling me their story of why they support Whatever club it is in the waffle would love to reach and love have them to reach out to me so I can sit down and have a chat with them during this off season. That is going to do it for our episode. Again, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again with more waffle coverage over the next season. Cannot wait. And we will see you again very, very soon.